0: Uh, I think most people in evangelicalism, when they see a squirrel, thinks of Gene Clyde. It's really strange when you think about it. Decidedly Christian, distinctly biblical, and just a little bit nuts, this is Squirrel Chatter. And welcome to the Piney Woods, ladies and gentlemen, I am your Squirrel, the host, coming to you from the ARN studios, high atop the tallest tree in the Piney Woods. It's good to have you with us. It is Thursday, November 4th, 2022, and today, 100 years ago today, British Egyptologist Howard Carter discovered the entrance to King Tutankhamun's tomb. And many wondrous things were found, um, as it was one of, I think, still to this day, the only unlooted pharaonic tomb that's ever been discovered. So the treasures that were in Tutankhamun's tomb are pretty much what we know about what was buried with pharaohs because many of the other pharaonic tombs that had been discovered had been looted. Um, and understandably so now having seen what was in Tut's tomb, um, you know, a guy could do pretty good with, uh, just, uh, a few of the items from a pharaonic tomb. So everything was gold and jewelry and, and, and very expensive stuff. Of course, um, so much of the stuff would have been so easily recognizable that it probably had to be melted down for just the gold value because you can't walk around selling a Pharaoh's funerary mask. (laughs) Here you go. This is the mask off the corpse of King Ramses the third. Go ahead and, you know, go ahead and, you know, hand me dinner in exchange or whatever. Yeah. it, It, uh, but yeah, it's interesting. It's, uh, One of those things I've been reading about my whole life and and was kind of fascinated in it, my my minor in college was anthropology, which is a discipline, at least at our school, that included archaeology, and I did take a couple of beginning archaeology classes just for my own uh, interests, and uh, so yeah, 100 years ago today. Yeah. And, of course, Mrs. Squirrel has her master's in archaeology, so I am married to an archaeologist as well. You know, if I'd thought about it when I got up, but uh, actually, I don't think... I have a King Tut t-shirt, but it's from high school, and I doubt if it would fit. It's been years since I wore it. But uh, if I'd been planning ahead, I'd have ordered one. But no, we're wearing a Pompeii t-shirt that I got at the Pompeii exhibit at the Reagan library several years ago, which was an interesting display in itself. Mm. Getting some coffee. We're back with the uh, Montana coffee traders glacier blend coffee. So this is the, the vanilla coffee. The only flavored coffee I like is Montana coffee traders glacier blend. All right. This is Squirrel Chatter, a proud member of the Christian Podcast Community. You can head on over to christianpodcastcommunity.org, check out all the great curated podcasts that are over there. And this podcast is a podcast that's dedicated primarily to the public reading of Scripture and secondarily to my thoughts on various topics of the day. Our Scriptures today are Ezekiel 28-30 through and John 10, as we continue to read through the Entire Bible in the Legacy Standard Bible Translation. We are completing week forty-four today, so we are rapidly approaching the end of the end of the year. We're right here, and there's the end of the year. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight weeks. Eight weeks, which means it's seven weeks until Christmas. Just so you know. All right. And it is Friday, so it's Federalist Friday, and today we're going to be reading Federalist number 11. And now that all those preliminaries are out of the way, let us begin, as is our practice, with the Prayer of Confession from the 1552 Book of Common Prayer. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Now our prayer for the reading of the word. Blessed Lord, who hast caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which Thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So now, Ezekiel chapter 28. The word of Yahweh came again to me, saying, Son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre, Thus says Lord Yahweh, Because your heart is lofty, and you have said, I am a god, I sit enthroned in the seat of gods, in the heart of the seas. Yet you are a man and not God, although you make your heart like the heart of God. Behold, you are wiser than Daniel. There is no secret that is a match for you. By your wisdom and understanding, you have acquired wealth for yourself and have acquired gold and silver for your treasuries. By your great wisdom, by your trade, you have increased your wealth, and your heart is lofty because of your wealth. Therefore, thus says Lord Yahweh, because you have made your heart like the heart of God, Therefore, behold, I will bring strangers upon you, the most ruthless of the nations, and they will draw their swords against the beauty of your wisdom and define your splendor. They will bring you down to the pit, and you will die the death of those who are slain in the heart of the seas. Will you still say, I am a God in the presence of the one who kills you, though you are a man and not God in the hands of those who slay you? You will die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of strangers, for I have spoken, declares Lord Yahweh. Again the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says Lord Yahweh, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, and the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets, was in you on the day that you were created. They were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence, and you sinned. Therefore I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lofty because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I put you before kings, That they may see you. But the abundance of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. Therefore, I brought out fire from the midst of you. It has consumed you, and I have turned you to ashes on the earth in the eyes of all who see you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have become terrified, and you will cease to be forever. And the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, Set your face towards Sidon, prophesy against her, and say, Thus says Lord Yahweh. Behold, I am against you, O Sidon, and I will be glorified in your midst. Then they will know that I am Yahweh when I execute judgments in her, and I will manifest my holiness in her, for I will send pestilence to her and blood to her streets, and the wounded will fall in her midst by the sword upon her on every side. Then they will know that I am Yahweh." And there will be no more for the house of Israel a prickling briar or a painful thorn from any round above them who scorn them then they will know that I am Lord Yahweh. Thus says Lord Yahweh, When I gather the house of Israel from the peoples among whom they are scattered and will manifest my holiness in them in the sight of the nations, then they will live in their land which I gave to my servant Jacob. They will live in it securely, and they will build houses, plant vineyards, and live securely when I execute judgment upon all who scorn them all around. Then they will know that I am Yahweh their God. Chapter 29 In the tenth year, in the tenth month, on the twelfth of the month, the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. Speak and say, Thus says Lord Yahweh, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great monster that lies in the midst of his canals of the Nile, that has said, My Nile is mine, and I myself have made it. I will put hooks in your jaws, and, I, and make you fish your canals of the Nile, and make the fish of your canals of the Nile cling to your scales. And I will bring you out of the midst of your canals of the Nile, and all the fish of your canals of the Nile will cling to your scales. I will abandon you in the wilderness, you and all the fish of your canals in the Nile. You will fall on the open field. You will not be brought together or gathered. I have given you for food to the beasts of the earth and to the birds of the sky. Then all the inhabitants of Egypt will know that I am Yahweh, because I have been only because they have been only a staff made of reed to the house of Israel. When they seized you with the hand, you tore and split open all their shoulders, and when they leaned on you, you broke and made all their loins quake. Therefore, thus says Yahweh, Behold, I will bring upon you a sword, and I will cut off from you man and beast. The land of Egypt will become a desolation and waste. Then they will know that I am Yahweh. Because you said, The Nile is mine, and I have made it. Therefore, behold, I am against you and against your canals of the Nile, and I will make the land of Egypt an utter waste and desolation, from Migdal to Syene, and even to the border of Ethiopia. A man's foot will not pass through it, and the foot of a beast will not pass through it, and it will not be inhabited for forty years. So I will make the land of Egypt a desolation in the midst of desolated lands, and her cities in the midst of cities that are laid waste will be desolate forty years. And I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them among the lands. For thus says Lord Yahweh, At the end of forty years I will gather the Egyptians from the peoples among whom they were scattered. I will return the fortunes of Egypt and make them return to the land of Pathros, to the land of their origin. And there they will be a lowly kingdom. It will be the lowest of kingdoms, and it will never again lift itself up above the nations. And I will make them so small that they will not have dominion over the nations. And it will never again be the security of the house of Israel, bringing to remembrance the iniquity of their having turned to go after Egypt. Then they will know that I am Lord Yahweh. Now in the 27th year, in the first month, on the first of the month, The word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon made his military force labor hard against Tyre. Every head was made bald, and every shoulder was rubbed bare. But he and his military force had no wages from Tyre for the labor that he had labored against it. Therefore, thus says Lord Yahweh, Behold, I will give the land of Egypt to Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, and he will carry off her abundance and capture her spoil and seize her plunder and it will be wages for his military force. I have given him the land of Egypt for his work, which he labored because they acted for me, declares Lord Yahweh. On that day I will make a horn sprout from the house of Israel, and I will open your mouth in their midst. Then they will know that I am Yahweh. Chapter 30 The word of Yahweh came again to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says Lord Yahweh. Wail, alas for the day, for the day is near, even the day of Yahweh is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. A sword will come upon Egypt, and anguish will be in Ethiopia when the slain fall in Egypt. They take away her multitude, and her foundations are pulled down. Ethiopia, Put, Lud, all Arabia, Libya, and the people of the land that is in covenant will fall fall with them by the sword. Thus says Yahweh, indeed, those who support Egypt will fall, and the pride of her strength will come down from Migdol to Cyrene. They will fall by her, they will fall within her by the sword, declares Lord Yahweh. They will be desolate in the midst of the desolated lands and her cities will be in the midst of the cities laid waste, and they will know that I am Yahweh, when I set a fire in Egypt and all her helpers are broken. On that day, messengers will go forth from me and ships to frighten secure Ethiopia, and anguish will be on them as the day of Egypt, for behold, it is coming. Thus says Lord Yahweh, I will make the multitude of Egypt cease by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He and his people with him, the most ruthless of the nations, will be brought in to make the land a ruin. And they will draw their swords against Egypt and fill the land with the slain. Moreover, I will make the canals of the Nile dry and sell the land into the hands of evil men, and I will make the land desolate as well as its fullness. By the hand of strangers I, Yahweh, have spoken. Thus says Lord Yahweh, I will also destroy the idols and make the images cease from Memphis, and there will no longer be a prince in the land of Egypt, and I will put fear in the land of Egypt. I will make Pathros desolate, "'set fire to Zoan, and execute judgments in Thebes. "'I will pour out my wrath on Sin and strong defense of Egypt. "'I will also cut off the multitude of Thebes. "'I will set fire in, in Egypt. "'Zin will writhe in anguish, Thebes will be breached, "'and Memphis will have distresses daily. "'The choice men of On and Pi-Beseth will fall by the sword, "'and the women will go into captivity.' In Tehaphanes the day will be dark when I break there the bar of the yoke of Egypt. Then the pride of her strength will cease in her, a cloud will cover her, and her daughters will go into captivity. Thus I will execute judgment on Egypt, and they will know that I am Yahweh. In the eleventh year, in the first month, on the seventh of the month, the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and behold, It has not been bound up to to be given healing or wrapped with a bandage, that it may be strong to seize the sword. Therefore, thus says Lord Yahweh, Behold, I am against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and will break his arms, both the strong and the broken, and I will make the sword fall from his hand. I will scatter the Egyptians among the nations and disperse them among the lands. For I will strengthen the arms of the kings of Babylon, and put my sword in his hand. And I will break the arms of Pharaoh, so that he will groan before him with the groanings of a wounded man. Thus I will strengthen the arms of the king of Babylon, but the arms of Pharaoh will fall. Then they will know that I am Yahweh when I put my sword into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he stretches it out against the land of Egypt. When I scatter the Egyptians among the nations, and disperse them among the lands, Then they will know that I am Yahweh. And now John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he brings all his own out, he goes ahead of them, And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they will never follow, but will flee from him, because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches and scatters them because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep which are not from this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, so that I may take it up again." No one takes it away from me, but from myself I lay it down. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. A division occurred again among the Jews because of these words, and many of them were saying, He has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, These are not the words of someone demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of the Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. And the Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us openly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish ever. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods, to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him, whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming, because I said, I am the Son of God? If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works, so that you may know and continue knowing that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Therefore they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing, and he was staying there. And many came to him and were saying, While John did no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. Now the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell, So it is Friday, and it is Federalist Friday. It is our last Federalist Friday before the election. Hmm. But as I said, this is going to continue even after the election, although it was started in part because of the election, because I was looking at, uh, you know, I've, I've told the story. I was substitute teaching, and the seniors in the high school didn't even know what the Federalist Papers were. Yet when I was in high school... The Federalist Papers were our textbook, basically, for our American government class. We read and studied the Constitution. We read and studied the Federalist Papers. We read and studied the Anti-Federalist Papers, which were the, the essays that were written against the ratification of the new Constitution. And we looked at all those arguments, and they don't do that in school anymore. And I think the reason they don't do that in school anymore is, and, and and I'm serious about this, I believe the educational professionals, and by that I mean the, the uh, um, sorry, something was out of place on my desk. Not that everything isn't out of place on my desk. It's messy, but something significant had to be moved. The educational authorities um are so allied allied with the um with the the socialists it's it's not even the the left anymore it's it's this is outright socialism to- socialist totalitarians and the education system is designed not to produce informed citizens capable of self-government. But it is designed to produce subjects suitable to be ruled over. I believe that with all my heart just based on the observations of being inside the school district for the last 10 years. And this is in a conservative county in western Montana. I can't imagine how bad it is in liberal districts. But, you know, all my life I've been, when did Johnny Can't Read come out? That was like in the 70s, wasn't it? So all through, you know, my young adult, you know, late adolescent teen years and young adult years, I've been seeing things about the failure of our education system. How many people that are being graduated who can't even exhibit basic reading comprehension if they can read at all? They can't do math. They have no concept of history. And this is intentional. And this is one of the reasons why as we approach this election cycle next year, I I want to remind you Stop electing Democrats. The Democrat Party is fully aligned with this globalist rule that they are trying to establish. They want to get rid of nations. They want to get rid of of independent individuals. They want to have rulers and the ruled. And face it, folks, we're who they view as those who need to be ruled. They are the ones who will be the rulers. Oh, but the Lord God reigns. And uh, so stop electing Democrats. The Democrats are aligned with this whole leftist agenda. And stop electing rhinos. They may call themselves Republicans, but they are every bit as aligned with this socialist utopian vision as the Democrats. So stop electing Democrats and stop electing rhinos. Vote conservative. And I don't just mean conservative economically. Vote for people who are going to defend historic, biblical values of morality, who are going to defend the family and the rights of parents against the rights of the state and the schools, and who are going to protect and defend the actual Constitution of the United States, which so many people who are voting have never read and have no clue what it says. So, as I said, this is not, this is not all that is needed to halt America's downward spiral. But it is a key part Politics will not save us. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ to be faithfully proclaimed to the world. But getting true conservatives into office is going to help. <laughs> um, and, and certainly, like I said, if, we're, if, we're gonna, if I'm going to live in an a immoral and degraded nation, I'd at least like it to be a prosperous one so I could buy food. I don't like the idea of starvation. All right, Federalist Friday. We're reading through the Federalist Papers. And uh, we have come to Federalist number 10. And just a quick review. We have read the Constitution. We read the Declaration of Independence. We read the Constitution. Now we are reading through the Federalist Papers. When we are done with the Federalist Papers, then we're going to go back through the Constitution and discuss what each article and clause means in light of what we read in the Federalist Papers so that when we're done this will be a class on American government and people can go back and watch Federalist Fridays from the beginning and go through all of this and learn the, the Constitution and what it means. Who knows, I may even pull out the audio and create a create a single audio file or audio book type format for it. I don't know yet, but that's the plan. All right, Federalist number 11. The utility of the Union in respect to commercial relations and a Navy for the Independent Journal... Author Alexander Hamilton to the people of the state of New York. Now, remember, these were essays that were put in papers. The printed editions that we have were taken from New York papers, therefore, they're all addressed to the people of New York. These were sent to all 13 colonies, um, and so, you know, to the people of Georgia, to the people of North Carolina, etc. But the, the printed editions that we have are all taken from New York papers, and that's why they're all addressed to the people of New York. Don't think that excludes you if you live in Texas. Although Texas wasn't a state at the time. The importance of the Union in a commercial light is one of those points about which there is at least room to entertain a difference of opinion, and which has, in fact, commanded the most general assent of men who have any acceptance with the sub- acquaintance with the subject. This applies as well to our intercourse with foreign countries as with each other. There are appearances to authorize a su- supposition that the adventurous spirit which distinguishes the commercial character of America has already excited uneasy sensations in several of the maritime powers of Europe. They seem to be ap- apprehensive of our too great interference in that carrying trade, which is the support of their navigation and the foundation of their naval strength. Those of them which have colonies in America look forward to what this country is capable of becoming with painful solicitude. They foresee the dangers that may threaten their American dominions from the neighboring neighborhood of states, which have all the dispositions and would possess all the means requisite to the creation of a power, powerful marine Impressions of this kind will naturally indicate the policy of fostering divisions among us and of depriving us, as far as possible, of an active commerce in our own bottoms. This would answer the threefold purpose of preventing our interference in their navigation, of monopolizing the profits of our trade, and of clipping the wings by which we might soar to a dangerous greatness. Do not, did, not pru, did not prudence forbid the detail it would not be difficult to trace, by facts, the workings of this policy to the cabinets of ministers. If we continue united, we may counteract a, poli- we may counteract a policy so unfriendly to our prosperity in a variety of ways. By prohibit... By, uh, excuse me. By prohibitory regulations, extending at the same time throughout the states... We may oblige foreign countries to bid bid against each other for the privilege of our markets. This assertion will not appear chimerical to those who are able to appreciate the importance of the markets of three millions of people, increasing in rapid progression, for the most part exclusively addicted to agriculture, and likely from local circumstances to remain so, to any manufacturing nation. And the immense difference there would be to the trade and navigation of such a nation between a direct communication in its own ships and an indirect convenience of its conveyance of its products and returns to and from America in the ships of another country. Suppose, for instance, we had a government in America capable of excluding Great Britain, with whom we have at present no treaty of commerce from all our ports. What would be the probable operation of this step upon her politics? Would it not enable us to negotiate with the fairest prospect of success for commercial privileges of the most valuable and extensive kind in the dominions of that kingdom? When these questions have been asked upon other occasions, they have received a plausible but not a solid or satisfactory answer. It has been said that prohibitions on our part would produce no change in the system of Britain, because she, sh- she could prosecute her trade with us through the medium of the Dutch, who would be her immediate customers and paymasters for those articles which were wanted for the supply of our markets. But would not her navigation be materially injured by the loss of the important advantage of being her own carrier in that trade? Would not the principal part of its profits be intercepted by the Dutch as a compensation for their agency and risk? Would not the mere circumstances of freight occasion a considerable deduction? Would not so circuitous an intercourse facilitate the competitions of other nations by enhancing the price of British commodities in our markets and by transferring to other hands the management of this interesting branch of British commerce? A mature consideration of the objects suggested by these questions will justify a belief that the real disadvantages to Britain from such a state of things, conspiring with the pre-possessions of a great part of the nation in favor of the American trade and with the importance of the West India islands, would produce a relaxation in her present system and would let us into the enjoyment of privileges in the markets of, who, of those islands elsewhere from which our trade would derive the most substantial benefits. Such a point gained from the British government, and which could not be expected without an equivalent in exemptions and immunities in our markets, would be likely to have a correspondent effect on the conduct of other nations, who would not be inclined to see themselves altogether supplanted in our trade. A further resource of influence... A further resource for influencing the conduct of European nations towards us in this respect would arise from the establishment of a federal navy. There can be no doubt that the continuance of the Union under an efficient government would put it in our power, at a period not very distant, to create a navy which, if it could not vie with those of the great maritime powers, would at least be of respectable weight if thrown onto the scales of either of two contending parties. This would be more more peculiarly the case in relation to operations in the West Indies. A few ships of the line sent opportunely opportunely to the reinforcement of either side would often be sufficient to decide the fate of a campaign, on the event of which interests of the greatest magnitude were suspended. Our position is, in this respect, a most commanding one. And, if to this consideration we add that of the usefulness of supplies from this country in the prosecution of military operations in the West Indies, it will readily be perceived that a situation so favorable would enable us to bargain with great advantage for commercial privileges. A price would not be set only upon our friendship, but upon our neutrality. By a steady adherence to the Union, we may hope ere long to become the arbiter of Europe in America and to be able to incline the balance of European competitions in this part of the world as our interests may dictate. But in the reverse of this eligible situation, we shall discover that the rivalships of the parts would make them checks upon each other and would frustrate all the tempting advantages which nature has kindly placed within our reach. In a state so insignificant, our commerce would be a prey to the wanton intermeddlings of all nations at war with each other, who, having nothing to fear from us, would, with little or remorse, supply their wants by depredations on our property as often as it fell in their way. The rights of neutrality will only be respected when they are defended by an adequate power. A nation, despicable by its weakness, forfeits even the privilege of being neutral. Under a vigorous national government, the natural strength and resources of the country directed to a common interest would baffle all the combinations of European jealousy to restrain our growth. This situation would even take away the motive to such combinations by inducing an impracticability of success. An active commerce, an extensive navigation, and a flourishing marine would then be the offspring of moral and physical necessity. We might defy the little arts of the little politicians to control or vary the irresistible and unchangeable course of nature. But in a state of disunion... These combinations might exist and might operate with success. It would be in the power of the maritime nations availing themselves of our universal impotence to prescribe the conditions of our political existence. And, as they have a common interest in being our carriers, and still more in preventing our becoming theirs, they would, in all probability, combine to embarrass our navigation in such a manner as would, in effect, destroy it and confine us to a passive commerce. We should then be compelled to content ourselves with the first price of our commodities and to see the profits of our trade snatched from us to enrich our enemies and prosecutors. That unequaled spirit of enterprise which signalizes the genius of the American merchants and navigators and which is in itself an inexhaustible mine of national wealth would be stifled and lost and poverty and disgrace would overspread a country which, with wisdom, might make herself the admiration and envy of the world. There are rights of great moment to the trade of America, which are rights of the Union. I allude to the fisheries, to the navigation of the western lakes, and to that of the Mississippi. The dissolution of the Confederacy would give room for delicate questions concerning the future existence of these rights, which the interests of more powerful partners would hardly fail to solve to our disadvantage. The disposition of Spain with regard to the Mississippi needs no comment. France and Britain are concerned with us in the fisheries and view them as of the utmost moment to their navigation. They, of course, would hardly remain long indifferent to that decided mastery of which experience has shown us to be possessed in this valuable branch of traffic and by which we are able to undersell those nations in their own markets. What more natural, then, that they should be disposed to exclude from the list such dangerous competitors? This branch of trade ought not to be considered as a partial benefit. All the navigating states may, in different degrees, advantageously participate in it, and under circumstances of a greater extension of mercantile capital, would not be unlikely to do it. As a nursery of seamen, it now is, or when time shall have more nearly assimilated, the principles of navigation in the United States will become a universal resource. To the establishment of a navy, it must be indispensable. To this great national object, a navy, union will contribute in various ways. Every institution will grow and flourish in proportion to the quantity and extent of the means concentrated toward its formation and support. A Navy of the United States, as it would embrace the resources of all, is an object far less remote than a Navy of any single state or partial Confederacy, which would only embrace the resources of a single part. It happens indeed that different portions of the confederated America possess each some peculiar advantage for this essential establishment. The more southern states furnish in great abundance certain kinds of naval stores, tar, pitch, and turpentine. Their wood for the construction of ships is also of a more solid and lasting texture. The difference in the duration of ships of which the navy might be comprised if chiefly constructed of southern wood would be of signal importance, either in the view of naval strength or of national economy. Some of the southern and of the middle states yield a greater plenty of iron and of better quality. Seamen must chiefly be drawn from the northern hive. The necessity of naval protection to external and maritime commerce does not require a particular elucidation, no more than the conduciveness of that species of commerce to the prosperity of a navy. An unrestrained intercourse between the states themselves will advance the trade of each by an interchange of their respective productions, not only for the supply of reciprocal wants at home, but for the exportation to foreign markets. The veins of commerce in every part will be replenished and will acquire additional motion and vigor from a free circulation of the commodities of every part. Commercial enterprises will have much greater scope from the diversity of in the production of different states. When the staple of one falls from a bad harvest or unproductive crop, it can call to its aid the staple of another. The variety, not less than the value of products for exportation, contributes to the activity of foreign commerce. It can be conducted upon much better terms with a large number of materials of a given value than with a small number of materials of the same value arising from the competitions of trade and from the fluctuation of markets. Particular articles may be in great demand at certain periods and unsaleable at others, but if there be a variety of articles, it can scarcely happen that they should all be at one time in the latter predicament. And on this account, the operations of the merchant would be less liable to considerable obstruction or stagnation. The specular trader will at once perceive the force of these observations and will acknowledge that the aggregate balance of the commerce of the United States would bid fair to be much more favorable than that of the 13 states without union or with partial unions. It may perhaps be replied to this that whether the states are united or disunited, there would still be an intimate intercourse between them which would answer the same ends. This intercourse would be fettered uninterrupted and narrowed by a multitude, multiplicity of causes, which in the course of these papers have been amply de- detailed. A unity of commerce as well as political interest can only result from a unity of government. There are other points of view in which this subject might be placed of a striking and animated kind, but they would lead us too far into the regions of futurity and would involve topics not proper for a newspaper discussion. I shall briefly observe that our situation invites and our interests prompt us to aim at an ascendancy in the system of American affairs. The world may politically as well as geographically be divided into four parts, each having a distinct set of interests. Unhappily for the other three, Europe, by her arms and by her negotiations, by force and by fraud, has, in different degrees, extended her dominion over them all, Africa, Asia, and America, have successfully felt her dominion. The superiority she has long maintained has tempted her to plume herself as the mistress of the world and to consider the rest of mankind as created for her benefit. Men admired as profound philosophers have, in direct terms, attributed to her inhabitants a physical superiority, and have gravely asserted that all animals, and with them the human species, degenerate in America. That even dogs cease to bark after having breathed a while in our atmosphere. Facts have too long supported these arrogant pretensions of the Europeans. It belongs to us to vindicate the honor of the human race, and to teach that assuming, that assuming brother, moderation. Union will enable us to do it. Disunion will add another victim to his triumphs. Let Americans disdain to be the instruments of European greatness. Let the 13 states, bound together in a strict and indissoluble union, concur in erecting one great American system, superior to the control of all transatlantic forces or influence and able to dictate the terms of the connection between the old and the new world. Publius. Excuse me. Well, there we have it, Federalist 11. Um, In reading it, I can't help but think that this one (laughs) turned out to be uh, extremely prophetic as we looked at the, as, as we think back upon the last 200 and 40-something, 250-something. How how old is America now? i got to do the math. Um, All right, I will do the math. How long ago? So, 2022. Get the calculator here. 2022 minus 1776. 246 years. Wow. Yes, I was... 11 years old when uh, during the bicentennial year. I remember it well. Every, uh, all of the uh, Walter Cronkite 200 years ago today spots. And that's what happened. Or that's the way it was 200 years ago today as he went through all of the events of the revolution. And I always thought, you know, there had to have been a day. When nothing happened. And, and you know, 200 years ago today, nothing of any import really happened. And that's the way it was 200 years ago today. That would have been funny, but it never happened. They, they were always able to find something, you know. 200 years ago today, George Washington had chicken for lunch. And that's the way it was 200 years ago today. Those were great. I remember them well. Um, That was a fun year. That was the year that uh, Dad had decided we were moving west. Um, Several things had happened with his job that had made him decide to resign and move the family west as he had always desired us to be. He was at a a point where he needed to start over. Um, He was in his 30s. And he packed up the family, and we took a six-week vacation, drove west out of Atlanta to El Paso, Texas, spent a day in El Paso, spent a day in Juarez, went across the border into Juarez. This was long before the drug cartels. Juarez was a tourist town. You could just head across the bridge into Mexico and go shopping and whatnot, Um you know, it was it was restaurants and 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 shops and and everything. It was a tourist town. It wasn't the the free for all fire zone that it is today. I wouldn't go to Juarez on a bet today, but at the time it was a it was a you know nice place to go. I mean, he took his family across the border into Mexico. It's you just wouldn't do today, and uh, so then we would. Uh, we, we headed up the Rockies, and uh, we, were, we were hitting every national park. We had a, a, a travel trailer that would sleep the five of us being pulled by a Suburban. So we're all piled in the Suburban, traveling across the country. And I remember we had the, the, the rear seat was removed, and we had a mattress in the back of the Suburban. So us kids were just kind of piled on the mattress most of the time. Um, this was before seatbelt laws, obviously. And, uh, so we, we drove across the country and, uh, uh, just stopped at every, you I know, mean, we stopped at all sorts of, of, uh, um, you know, national parks. That was the first time I ever went to Yellowstone. First time I ever went to Glacier. Um, Mesa Verde, fascinated by Mesa Verde. I need to go back. That was just, because we spent like two or three days in Mesa Verde and did multiple tours of those cliff dwellings. And just fascinating, really neat stuff. If you've never been to Mesa Verde National Park, I I would highly recommend it. Um, Like I said, I want to go back. I want to go back and spend several days there just going through stuff before I'm too old to climb the ladders and, and explore the ruins. Um, So yeah, the the summer of 76 was a, was a fun time. And uh, so we look back on the, the 246 years of American history since the founding, then we're looking at a history of prosperity Now much of that prosperity has been thrown away since World War II, really since the 70s when all of our manufacturing to a great extent has been moved out of the United States in a quest for cheap labor. We have crippled our industries and we need to get manufacturing back in the United States we have we have thrown away the advantages the industrial revolution gave us we have thrown away the advantages that an educated workforce gave us we have thrown away the advantages that god gave us with our natural resources in the united states and we have enriched other nations to our own detriment yes i'm an america firster Because I want to seek the welfare of the nation where God has placed me. Because in the welfare of my nation is my own welfare founded. So consider that next Tuesday as well. We need to get industries back to the United States. Um, I I just looked up, I just used the calculator on my iPhone, which is made in Japan. Or no, made in China made in Japan, made in China, I drive a Japanese car. And I would gladly drive a car out of Detroit. And they are better. Um, Right now I have certain familial obligations to a Japanese car company um, because my son-in-law is a salesman for Mazda, which is why there are two Mazdas in our driveway out there. Um, But... You know, and they're great cars. And I have no problem with people buying foreign-made things. But our American industry needs to be reestablished and reasserted. You know, you look back to after World War II, how America dominated the world with our manufacturing and our technology, and we have squandered that. And that is to our detriment. But looking at Federalist Number 11 the advantages of a union in the Americas with America's natural resources and, you know, just geographical presentation, we just dealing with the East coast with the Atlantic trade. They foresaw that, that we could become a maritime trading power to rival the Dutch and the English and the Spanish which indeed we were now, you know, even American owned vessels are foreign flagged because of tax reasons and, and that's to our detriment. And so, yes, we need to get back to our national dominance in trade and industry. Because that is to our, that is to our betterment. Um, and it can be done without setting out to destroy the trade of other nations. So, All right, well, that's Squirrel Chatter for today. It is Friday, so make sure you get yourself to church on Sunday. I, I wish you the best of weekends. It's supposed to snow here this weekend. Uh, we'll see. I I, it, I looked this morning, and it's wet outside. It's not white. So I, uh, I have to go to Missoula this morning. So I'm happy that it's not white, since I have to do a little bit of highway driving. But uh, the white is coming. And I said it, it wasn't as cold last night. What's the temperature right now? Again, looking at my iPhone to see what the temperature was this morning. And according to the weather app, the temperature right now is 35 degrees and rainy. So, there we go. Weather in western Montana, but not winter weather yet. I was teaching my uh, Kalispell Bible study via Zoom last night. Um... Our friends up in Kalispell, they have snow on the ground. But we do not have snow on the ground here yet. But it's coming, baby. It's coming. So, go to church on Sunday. Drive safe in the snow. <laughs> have a great weekend. Do the things you ought to do. Don't do the things you ought not do. And whatever you do, do it for the glory of the Lord. We'll see you here on Monday for another episode of Squirrel Chatter. Take care. God bless. Squirrel Chatter is recorded in front of a live studio hamster.